Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good to see you here this morning. And um, I'm, we're continuing through our series in, in Romans, but I just can't help but think we've sung some songs this morning and, which have been uh, wonderful about just uh, how Christ is everything, how he is above all, to you alone may my spirit yield. It's... Um, He's everything, really. He's everything to us. Um, I'm going to pray. Father, I pray that you would bless us with uh, your hope this morning. Bless us with your word, with your joy, conviction of sin and righteousness. And Father, that we would go away from here worshipping you and you alone being our strength and shield. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So reading from Romans chapter 4, verse 13, to the end of the chapter. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs Sorry, for if it is the adherents to the law who are to be heirs, then faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God, in whom he believed, he, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he, that's Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since it was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God because he stood strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now, last week we, we talked about a lot of this, and so if you really want to get some definitions of faith and justification and righteousness and things, just go on the podcast and listen to last week's sermon and you'll love it, um, I'm sure. Uh, yes, oh, I did. Um, and, and, and there's some repetitiveness in this part of the passage. So I'm actually going to go a little bit quickly over the first part and then focus on the last couple of verses, particularly thinking today about the importance of the resurrection and the importance of living with an eternal perspective, a resurrection perspective, which is to live with the faith of Abraham. Okay, but I'm going to go through this and we're starting at verse 13. Um, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, 
but through the righteousness of faith. And then in verse 15, for the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Okay, the law of God is very, very good. The law of God sums up who God is. And if you obey all of the law, you'll end up being just like God. You'll end up in his character. You'll end up in the image of God. So why would the law bring wrath? Because everybody falls short of that law. And so everybody falls short of the glory of the character of God. And so they are under the wrath of God. The problem is that we don't fall short accidentally. We fall short on purpose. Okay, so the law then stands against us. It condemns us because it highlights where we've missed the mark. And then, this is a sum up of last week, by the way. And then a righteousness comes from God through Jesus as we believe or have faith in the one who has taken our sin. He's taken our punishment. That's Jesus. He's taken God's wrath for us. He has, and Jesus, that same Jesus, gives us his perfect righteousness. We've been talking a lot about propitiation because that was in chapter 3. And I found a good example yesterday when I was doing some electrical work. I don't know if you've ever bought a surge protector for your house. It's like a lightning arrester. It goes alongside the main switch in the switchboard. I'm an electrician if you didn't know that. And what it does is this. If lightning hits a line and a surge comes down, right, it protects the whole house by taking that surge. That's good, isn't it? It takes the full lightning. It dies. It's called a sacrificial device. Once you've had one bolt of lightning, it's a throwaway. Okay? It has to die. It has to sacrifice itself to save the whole household, which is what Jesus has done in taking the wrath of God for us. Now, he didn't have a replacement in this case. That's where the example falls down because God raised him from the dead. But that is, uh, that is what Jesus has done for us and he has credited us with his perfect righteousness. And we receive that by faith the same way Abraham did and that was always God's way. Verse 16 says, that's why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Now you're thinking, is this the offspring born in the line, you know, the family tree of Abraham? He goes, no, not only the adherent to the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. He's the father of all who have faith, the faith of Abraham. As it is written, I've made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Now, God gave Abraham a promise of life, the life of a son. And we said last week how it was an impossible promise. We talked about how there was no maternity wing at Warrawee because people who are 100 years old, or 99 actually, don't have babies. It's an impossibility. And Abraham and Sarah had a baby at that age. And I always think it's great that when, if Sarah heard the promise that the angel brought, you're going to have a baby, she laughed. Yeah, that's a right response, isn't it? Imagine a 90-year-old lady hearing, you're going to have a baby. <laughs> that's how it goes, yeah? That's what Isaac was called. He laughs. Imagine the joy when it actually happened. Oh, there was no. laughter. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Okay. And in the same way, it was impossible for humanity to come to life. They rebelled against God and God did something miraculous to save them. And Abraham was the first sign pointing forward to that. He was, he was the beginning of faith in an impossible miracle, the salvation that comes by God's grace. So verse 18, in hope he, that's Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Now, what that so shall your offspring be is it was taken out and he said, look at the stars in the sky. How many can you see? We went out to Bundoran with, uh, with a group of um, NCC kids the other night for a barbecue. And city kids are always amazed at the stars. They spent, they spent probably an hour that night trying to take photos of the stars. <laughs> they just loved it. There's some good photos I can show you. They, it, but look at those stars. They were all laying on their back in, in the riverbed, just looking at the stars. Um, so shall your offspring be. As many as you can count, that's going to be your offspring, Abraham. That's what he meant. He did not weaken in his faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and when he considered the barrenness, or the Greek could be the deadness, of Sarah's womb. Abraham had hope that he would become the father of many nations as promised by God. But when he died, this was not fulfilled. Did you know that? As far as the promised line was concerned, when he died, he had one son, Isaac. Good name, isn't it? Sure is. Yeah. One son. He did have, if you read the text carefully, he actually, after Sarah died, he had a couple more kids. He was very virulent. It was old Abraham. But, but the promise of the line was, through, um, was going to be through Isaac. And when he died, he was promised that many descendants, the stars in the sky, but there was only one. That's all he saw in God's promise. That's interesting, isn't it? No unbelief, this is verse 20 now, made, we'll hold that thought, that's what I say, that's interesting. We're going to come back to that. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Now, the, we said last week, from the time God gave him a promise till the time that it actually happened, the baby was born was 24 years, not three weeks. Oh, well, it had to be nine months, didn't it? But it was 24 years. And his faith did not waver. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he'd promised. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Because he believed in that impossible miracle, God did something and credited him as righteous, as perfect. It was God's gift to him. Eventually, the righteousness that saved Abraham through Jesus... That was a bad sentence. He believed and God said, you are righteous. And he set forth the way of how it works. Because that's what his next words, the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. They were written for us. This is how a person 
becomes righteous. This is how a person becomes justified. This is how a person becomes right with God. This is how a person becomes forgiven and perfected and receives all the blessings of God. How is it? By faith. By trusting in the impossible promise of God. We've almost got to live with this thought that it's impossible for me to be saved. Have a look at me. If you knew my heart, if you knew the sin, it's impossible for me to be saved. If you knew the rebellion, but a miracle has happened and by faith Jesus has done something I couldn't do. And so he says, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for as also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. We receive that same promise. Now, do you see that just as a little side note? It will be... It will be be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus. That's not Jesus, actually, is it? That's the Father. Now, other times we're told to have faith in Jesus... But we must have faith in the Father because there's no separation in the plan of God. The plan of the Father is the will of the Father which the Son delighted to do because it was his will also and the Holy Spirit brought it all about. There's only one will in God because sometimes we have this funny view, God's, you know, the Father's a bit angry with us. Jesus comes to save us and the Holy Spirit is a lovely and feely and he, you know, kind of protects us and shields us from the nasty Father. There is only one will in God. Yep. They are absolutely united. That's just a side point. Okay. And we are counted righteous when we believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead. The resurrection is central to our faith. No resurrection, no Christian. Do you get that? If you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and and then look forward to their own resurrection in a way that's all bound up together... Romans 10, 9 says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you believe in the heart that God raised him from the dead. The resurrection is crucial. It is the seal of God on the work of Jesus. If he died for our sins and wasn't raised from the dead, Paul says it's a waste of time. Don't even bother being a Christian. If you've got the death of Christ for sins and no resurrection... Go and eat and drink and be merry. That's what he says. There's no point in living. But the resurrection showed with power that Jesus was a perfect, obedient son of God and God raised him from the dead. Now this resurrection is actually more central to the life of Abraham than we realise. Okay, this is my point. Abraham's life was actually all about the resurrection. It was all about looking forward. And we're going to see that in two different ways, both from Hebrews this morning. Because Abraham lived with an eternal perspective. He didn't live faith in his own... Imagine being 100 years old and saying, have faith in your own body. Maybe you should do some weights, Abraham. Yeah? You could live forever. Abraham believed he he had an eternal perspective that he never got to see but he trusted in with all his heart. So in Hebrews 11, verse 8, I don't know if you can do that, can you? Hebrews 11, verse 8. Thanks, um, Isaac. Says, we'll get that. Oh, that's good. Go down that. Oh, you know. Okay. By faith, 
Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place that he was to receive as an inheritance, the promised land. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she was considered him faithful who had promised. So she had the same faith, Abraham, uh, Sarah. She trusted God. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars in heaven, as many as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Now, uh, he's going to move into this. Can you see there, he's saying, Abraham, yes, he was promised the promised land. Yes, he was promised these generations. But he, he lifted his eyes to the fulfilment that would come through God. These all died. Now, these all, he's, talking, he's been listing off all the saints in the Old Testament. All the Old Testament people of faith. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they've been thinking of the land that they've gone out of, then they'd have an opportunity to return. But, but as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Okay, can you see that? Abraham and all the other saints who had faith, they all died. And none of them received, up until the point of their death, all that God had promised. But they they died believing it was true. Even though they hadn't received it. Abraham died, he'd never received that great nation. He had one son. The other great promise made to Abraham was about receiving the promised land. Again, he didn't see it. He didn't see that fulfilment in an earthly country. He looked to a heavenly country, one God would prepare in the future. You see, when Abraham died, of that whole promised land that he entered, he owned one small plot of land. When I say small, where Sarah was buried. So he was promised all that land. He was promised a multitude of descendants and he died owning a six by six plot where his wife was buried and one son. But he had faith that God's promise is a heavenly country and a great many descendants. And that is how it is for all who live by faith. Can you understand the significance of this? We have a resurrection hope which causes us to live, faith that is, causes us to live with an eternal perspective. We don't live as a hope in this earth. We live like with the faith of Abraham. Like with the faith. That's great English. We live with the faith of Abraham. We have the same faith as him which doesn't just look to creating heaven on earth now. We look to a future resurrection, a future fulfilment of God's promises. Now, a few years ago, uh, when uh, I was told when I preached on the resurrection, you shouldn't focus so much 
on the fact that one day we'll be raised from the dead. You should focus on this life. This is truly what people said. In little resurrections. We have these little resurrections, these little overcomings, these little victories, these successes, these, these blessings, these glories in this life. Focus. That's what the resurrection is about. In other words, don't have an eternal perspective. Keep your eyes on the things of this world. That's told that clearly. Very interesting thing, isn't it? Keep propping up this ageing, decaying body. Like Abraham. No, that's not what Abraham had. Because when you do that, your focus becomes on everything in this world which is in one sense decaying, and in one sense trivial, and in one sense idolatrous. The things of this world. Do you understand what I'm saying? Everything will go well if you become a Christian, right? That's, that's actually that's a form of idolatry. Yeah, that's living opposed to a resurrection faith. Faith in the future, heavenly home, the fulfilment of the promises. Because I, 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 don't, I don't need to go into this in great detail, but if you want to know, read John 16, the whole chapter, and what Paul's saying, what Jesus is saying in it, and how he finishes. And he said, In this world, Christians, it is, in this world you will have trouble. That's what he says. But by faith, we have an eternal perspective. So we look at this world oppositely to the rest of the world. That's a good word. We don't chase the things that they chase. We don't hold and treasure the things that other people treasure. Because ultimately, Excuse me. Ultimately, the worldly success and the glory, this is what people call the prosperity gospel. You've heard of that, haven't you? It's not actually good news. Because it's saying, the prosperity gospel is saying, love the world and everything in it. That's not what the Bible verse says. John, in 1 John says, do not love the world or anything in it. Do not lust after the things of this world. Because you've got an eternal perspective. Because Christians are overwhelmed by these loves. They're dragged down. They're choked out. And it's distressing to see it happen. Ultimately, these things are self-centred. But by faith, we look to a future home that God has prepared. But we won't see it in this life. The next thing that will happen for us is either we'll die or Jesus will return. But it won't be the fulfilment of everything in us. This is, sorry, I don't want this to be like a bad news message. This is good news. Because I'm telling you about a promise which will not let you down. Abraham's, the, the, the promise of a promised land where the whole earth is renewed, that is going to happen. There is a great multitude of Christians in this world. They are growing and growing. The promise was fulfilled. Okay? Just because they didn't see it doesn't mean it's. It's not there. An eternal perspective means we don't put our hope in the things of this world. We have a hope in something which will not let us down. Ever. People say you can't take it with you when you go. You've heard that saying? Is it fully true? No. How about that? I'm going to say no. There are some things you can take with you when you go. Do you know this? This is true. Okay. 
not quite. It's actually our good works, our works of love. Do you know that? In, 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 in Revelation 14, verse 12, you don't put it up, you can believe me. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus Christ. I, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this down. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit. They, that they may rest from their labours, for their deeds will follow them. Their deeds will follow them. Your good works actually follow you into heaven. And what's the heart of these good works? What's the heart of the law? To love. Do you know that when you love, you are doing something which is eternal in consequence and in power? See, I'm not just saying, I don't want to just bag this earth and say it's all rubbish. There is some things that we do in this life which are other person-centred, which are full of love, which will eternally follow us into heaven. What that looks like, I don't fully know, but it describes it as good. It's good. We have the ability and the calling and the empowerment to do good works in our lives. Do you know that? And these good works are of eternal value through faith in Christ. It is good to live the Christian life because those are part of an eternal kingdom and they will follow us eternally. It's about, it's about a future. Can you see that? It's about, but you see, love is not that you're going to be glorified because if you truly love, it will be sacrificial. To truly love is to give up of yourself for somebody else. Otherwise, it's not love, is it? Otherwise, it's just selfishness repacked in, a, in some sort of weird relationship. Love is always giving of yourself, and that is of eternal value. You see, what the switch is, don't love the world or anything in it, but love the people of this world with all your heart, yeah, just as you love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And that is the life of faith. I'll say it again, I'm getting repetitive. The things that we do as Christians have eternal value and consequence when we live in love. Can you say that? It is a glorious thing to love one another. It is awesome. Yeah? But there are always these things, these idols that crowd in on us that are really not eternal and they won't last forever. Don't give your whole life to them. Don't give your time to them. Just... See them for what they are. Use them as functional to love. Abraham fixed his eyes on God's promises for the future to a heavenly kingdom and he lived in obedience and he lived by faith. And Jesus says of Abraham in John 8, Abraham saw my day and was glad. He understood that even... This is a weird thing. Even the son he was given... In one sense, God stripped that back from him. Remember when he was taken, he took Isaac up the hill? By the time, that time, Isaac was sort of teenage. And he took him up and God said, sacrifice him. And then God gave a replacement, the, the, the ram that was caught there. Do you, you know that story? Hebrews goes on in verse, uh, this is chapter 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, whom he had received, who had received the promise 
was an act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac, your offspring will be named. That's crazy. Sacrifice the one that all the offspring are going to come from. He considered that God was able to even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. He believed it. So Abraham, even at that moment, when he lifted the knife, actually believed in a resurrection because he knew that God was going to bring about his promises. Now, God gave a replacement and in the same way that God for us has given us a replacement in Jesus Christ. Okay, all this is to say, Abraham had a resurrection faith. He had an eternal perspective. He didn't look to this world. He looked to the eternal kingdom. And as his faith was, so is ours. It's the calling of the children of God, the heirs. He, Jesus, was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. He died to take our sins. He was raised up for our righteousness. And the righteous shall live by faith. That's our life. And how is faith expressed? In love. Father, we've heard this call this morning. We know that all of us here, we get crowded out by things that are trivial and unimportant, sometimes even futile. I pray that you would turn our hearts, that you would cause us to seek you with all of our hearts, that you would show us the eternal blessings you have, and Father, that you would empower us by your Spirit, that we might be those who live in love. That we might use our time wisely, that we might do many good deeds in our life that would follow us into heaven. But Father, that that wouldn't be what we're doing for. That we would do them because we know you and we love you and you are everything to us. And your grace and your mercy is just so wonderful. Father, we praise you and we thank you this morning and pray that we would go from here set free to worship and love you above all else. And I pray this in Jesus' name.